If we haven't met, uh, my name is Dominic. I'm one of the pastor elders here. And like Billy said, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 today. We're in the middle of a series called Kingdom Family. The title of the sermon is Kingdom Family Confidence. And we're looking at Ephesians 3 verse 12. And I'm going to be reading and preaching from the New Living Translation. But um, we're going to start in Ephesians 3, 2, just to get like some context. Because Paul basically is sharing this one big thought right here. And our verse today kind of like is the end of that thought. And so just, just to give us some context of where we've been for the last several weeks, uh, let's start in Ephesians 3, verse 2. But we're going to focus in on verse 12. As I briefly wrote earlier, he says, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan, that both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is our our verse today. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing all around the world. So fun just hearing just a couple minutes right now about what you're doing in places like Asia and Central Asia. And thank you, Lord, that you're here. You're moving here all at the same time. There are people right now on Sunday mornings in different time zones gathered just like we're gathered. Some in buildings like this, some in bigger buildings, some in nicer buildings, some in houses, some in no buildings at all, all around the same God. And so we come today, Lord, and we recognize you are the source of all things, and so we look to you for all things. We ask that you would speak to your people like only you can. Thank you that in a room full of several hundred people, you know every single thought and emotion and situation that we are in, and you are able to, with the same word, speak to every single one of us in specific personal ways. And so... We ask today that you would do that, that you would come and you would speak to us as only you can. We open our ears. We want to hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, Paul, he was a religious Jew of Jews before he met Jesus, and now he's writing to this mostly Gentile Christian church in Ephesus, and he's kind of been tripping out the last 10 or 11 verses, about God's mysterious plan. That God didn't just love Jews, but God loved the entire world and wanted to bring whoever would put their trust in Jesus into his kingdom family. That's what God wanted to do. And Paul is tripping out that kingdom family was the mysterious plan. Kingdom family was the mysterious plan from the beginning. And in this family, there is no dividing walls between different types of of people, as they say, the, the ground is even at the foot of the cross. And then Paul concludes this thought about this mystery in our verse today, which is where we'll camp out uh, today. And I want to just read it again, just so we can focus on this verse. Again, Ephesians 3.12 is, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Boldly and confidently into God's presence, confidently and boldly. Uh, my daughter, she's 15. She just got back from Uganda yesterday. And um, a couple of years ago, she developed a friendship with this boy. It wasn't a boyfriend, okay? It was just a, a boy. 
And this dude uh, forever wouldn't look me in the eyes. And I was like, what's wrong with this kid? I thought he was just shy at first. And then he would be so chatty with my wife. And then he'd come around me and he'd be like, hey, Mr. Bally. And he'd just like, and I'd try to, and I'd smile bigger, you know. I'd like be what I thought was warm to him. And for, I mean, I'm talking like at least a year, dozens and dozens of interactions with this guy. Uh, he, he wouldn't talk to me. And finally, I was like, Selah, what's up with your buddy? I'll keep his name confidential for now. I was like, what's up with your, why? What's his problem? She was like, dad, you're so intimidating. And I was like, what are you talking about? I smile all the time. Like, I'm nice. And so I was like, I'm not intimidating. My daughter's just tripping, whatever. And so this kind of kept going on for like a while. And so I asked a couple guys at our church. Uh, I asked, I'm not going to keep their names confidential. I asked Jose and James, who are on our worship team. These dudes are like mid-20s, early-30s kind of style, right? And I was like, I was telling the story. I was like, I can't believe this guy. And Selah was like, you're so intimidating. And they like looked at each other and they were like, <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? I'm intimidated. Like, Dude, you're so intimidating. We met you all. We were both so intimidated. And so last week, two weeks ago, my daughter's in Uganda, and uh, they had some of their stuff stolen for their hotel room, and Selah called me, and she was, she was emotional, and uh, she was like, Dad, I just wish you were here, and I was like, oh, she wants me to, like, hug her or something, and I was like, oh, yeah, baby, and then she said, because you're big and scary. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll talk. <laughs> so my mom was out last week, and I was hoping to find like a little bit of, I don't know, something different in my mom. Like it's my mom. <laughs> and I was telling her what Selah said, and, and I was expecting her to like disagree, and she didn't. <laughs> and I was like, what? mom, but I'm so nice. Like what? And she's like, no. Here's the deal, Dom, and I think, I, think this is the, I think this is why you're a little bit intimidating. Um, I think it's mostly confidence. I think you have a confidence about you. You came out of the womb confident. And, uh, and I, guess, I guess she's right. I guess there is a certain level of, like, confidence that I have in me. The dictionary defines self-confidence uh, as a feeling of self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities or qualities. And so I, I have, I guess, a certain level of confidence that is based on my perceived or actual ability to do certain things in a successful way in my life. Part of it's just DNA, like my mom said, it came out of the womb like that. And then part of it's circumstances throughout life, right? You have experiences with people in your life where they say things to you growing up and they, they have a tendency to make you confident or not. And the longer I live, the more confident I get in certain things. And apparently this is the part of the, 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 the error or the aura that I put off is not just like confidence, but it ends up being intimidating. And so I'm actually cool with terrifying 15-year-old boys who are friends with my daughter. Right? I, th I thought I needed a gun when I get to this age. Apparently all you need is confidence. But not everything in my life is like that. Um, I've been a professional singer for the better part of 15 years, which means I've sang in front of hundreds of thousands of people tens of thousands of times, and people have like paid money for my music. You would think if there was something in my life that I would be confident about, it would be my singing ability. But do you know what one of the greatest fears in my life is? Karaoke. <laughs> Ask anybody who knows me. <laughs> I will not do karaoke. Which is a bummer because, like, if they expect me to do karaoke, they're like, you're the singer, dude. Come on. I'm like, I'm out of the room. You've never even seen me in a karaoke bar, ever. I'm always sick whenever there's a karaoke party. My greatest fear in life is that somebody will put a microphone in front of my face and I'll open my mouth and not be able to sing on pitch because I can't hear the pitch. I can't, I can't hear the right notes to sing. I actually lack a lot of confidence when it comes to my ability to sing well. And the reason why 
is because until I was 16 years old, I was 100% tone deaf. I could not hear pitch. And when you can't hear pitch, you can't sing on pitch. And when you can't sing on pitch, you don't sound good. And although I couldn't tell I was terrible, because when you're tone deaf, everything sounds fine to you. <laughs> although I couldn't tell how terrible I was, the, the facial expressions of the people around me were like my barometer my entire life as to whether or not I had any singing ability. And then when I met Jesus at age 16 and I was filled with his spirit, I was miraculously healed from being tone deaf. For the first time in my life, I could hear pitch. But when God healed me, he didn't heal my voice. There was nothing wrong with my voice. My bad singing was a symptom of me not being able to hear the pitch. And so when God healed me, he didn't do anything to my voice. He did something to my neurological connections in my brain that allowed me to hear pitch or not hear pitch. So it didn't mean that all of a sudden I could sing well. It just meant that all of a sudden I could hear how bad I was. <laughs> I could hear what people had been hearing for my entire life. I had the same voice I had always had. And this was the perfect recipe for all confidence to be stripped from me as far as my singing ability goes. I was born with and programmed with a lot of confidence in a lot of things. But being, being able to sing well, my life and my DNA actually has done the opposite with me. You put a problem in front of me, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to be able to solve it. You put a song theme in front of me, I'm pretty sure I can write the song. But you put a karaoke machine in front of me or some kind of vocal lick and tell me to emulate it, I'll, I'll literally start sweating. And so in, in every situation and circumstance, I am faced with one of two paths. Path number one, confidence. Path number two, insecurity and fear. I am either persuaded that I will succeed or I am persuaded that I will fail. I am either confident or I'm timid and uncertain. And my confidence is contingent on my ability to perform in the way that I think I need to. Now, let's take Kingston. He's our youngest, for instance. Kingston is a little bit different. Kingston is self-confident about certain things, for sure. But the majority of Kingston's confidence in his life is not actually contingent on his ability to perform, but on my ability to perform in the way that he wants me to. Because he's sick, he doesn't, six, he doesn't have control over his entire life, right? I, I get to manage his life. Let me give you an example. When Kingston wants something from me, He's so cute. If you guys have ever met Kingston, he's the sweetest. I love that kid. Anyways, when Kingston wants something from me, I can tell by the tone of his voice and the posture of his body how confident he is as to whether I'm going to grant him his request or not. Right? Let me give you an example. Kingston's like, my kids are always hungry. I don't know about your kids. My kids are like always about to die from starvation. And so Kingston comes to me. And he's like, Dad, I'm just, I'm hungry. I just really want a snack right now. And, and so I'm like, okay, what, what do you want? And here's, here's Kingston's uh, body language and tone of voice. Okay, watch. Dad, um, well, I just kind of want, I mean, I'm thinking maybe something icy, <laughs> but like kind of sweet and has like a fruity flavor and it's like really cold and, um, and then he like kind of like <laughs> peaks. Contrast that with when I, Kingston comes to me and he's like, this is very rare. But comes to me and says, dad, I want a snack. And I'm like, what do you want? And he says, watch the tone of my voice and my body language. He says, I want a chicken drumstick. <laughs> like that. That, dad, I don't know, maybe just something sweet or I don't. Dad, I want a chicken drumstick. <laughs> confidence. Confidence. His confidence is directly contingent on how sure he is about me responding in the way that he thinks I should to his request. And in his situation, turning out the way that he hopes it will. At this point in Kingston's life, he has very little confidence that he will get a popsicle when he asks for it instead of dinner. 
but he is full of assurance every time he asks me to grill him up a chicken drumstick. His confidence is based on my ability to perform well on his behalf. And so he is confident when he's like, Dad, can you grill me some chicken? And this, guys, is what God has done in Christ. Our confidence that we will be given access into the very presence of God is based on someone else's ability to perform well on our behalf. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. The assurance that we have when coming into God's presence hinges on Jesus. I lack confidence at times in my singing ability because my assurance is based on my ability. But access to our Father is not contingent on our ability. It is contingent on Jesus. And Jesus, as the Son of God, has perfect access to the Heavenly Father. And when we put our trust in Him and we are born again, we take on everything that is of Christ and we get the same kind of access that Jesus has, which is not timid. It's not like, I don't know. It's not self-conscious. It's not unsure. It is full of assurance kind of access into the presence of God. We talked about it a few weeks ago that before Jesus, um, access into the presence of God was not a thing that the people of God could do. Only the high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, could go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. And when he went in, there was nothing confident about it. He was terrified, and he was unsure. But when Jesus died on the cross and he yelled out, It is finished! The veil in that temple that was in front of that Holy of Holies, God reached down from heaven and it says from top to bottom, the one foot thick veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Confident access was granted. Which means that when we come to God, we don't have to show up like Kingston or like, I don't know, Lord, like, you know, like we get to show up confidently as if we belonged there. Because we do. Now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's house, which means you belong in the house. You're not a stranger in the house of God is what Paul is telling us. So don't act like it. God says, do you belong here? Because of what my son has done on your behalf? Because of who you are now? You're in the kingdom family. You're a kingdom kid. You, just like Kingston, just like Kingston belongs in my house. You belong in the house of God. I'm not saying you don't respect God there. I I, I require respect from my kids, but they belong in my house. They belong there and they could be there confidently. And I understand that sometimes we are full of shame. And we don't feel like we deserve to be in God's presence. We don't feel like we deserve to sit down at his table. We certainly don't feel like we deserve to do it with confidence. But we can come to God and we can say, Lord, listen, I blew it. I blew it. I messed up and I'm sorry. And he's like, dude, I already forgave you. That sin was already nailed to the cross. You belong here. You belong with me. And if your confidence that you will have a a place in God's presence is contingent on your ability to do well, then yeah, you, you should be a little bit timid and unsure. But your faith is not in you. Your faith is, as it says, in Jesus because of Christ and our faith in him. I remember the first time uh, I ever got an all-access pass to something. I didn't even know what this was. But I was 22 years old, and I was playing the first big show of my life. And it was at the Anaheim Convention Center. There was going to be 5,000 people there. It was this big old Christian event, and it was like people, like names you know now. It was like right before Jeremy Camp got famous, right before Phil Wickham got famous, and then it was like me. And uh, we got done with our sound check, and they handed me this thing. And they didn't tell me anything about it. They just assumed, like, I knew what I was doing. But it was like, I was just starting to do this thing. It was like me and my band, right? And uh, they handed me this, this thing. And on it said, all access. And I was like, oh, cool. And I like, stuck it in my pocket. And then they said, the green room and catering and all of that is that direction. And so I start walking back. 
and I get to this doorway, and there is this massive security guard there, just like standing like this, not even looking at anybody in the eyes, right? Like Anaheim Convention Center security guard. He's standing in front of this doorway, and I'm like, I think this is where I'm supposed to go. And I like walk a little closer. He, he doesn't even say anything, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't move. He's taking up the entire doorway. And I was all, and then I was like, wait, I think, I, I think that pass like does something. And I pull it out, and I was like, I was like Kingston. I was all, <laughs> and I like, I showed it to him without saying a word. He steps aside, and I was like, huh. And I like walked by. And then I was like, dude, this thing's sick, right? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Makes big old massive dudes just like move without saying a word. And so then down the hallway, there was another doorway and another security guard. And something happened to me where I was like, my walk changed, right? I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and, I st- <laughs> and I didn't even look at the dude this time. I just went like this. <laughs> just held up the pass like that. And the dude moved. The all-access pass had given me access. The pass, everybody say pass. Everybody say access. The pass had given me access, right? I had access into this place. Listen, Jesus Christ is our all-access pass to the Heavenly Fathers on stage, backstage, green room, catering, and everything in between. You know, I have asked God for a lot of things in my life. I've asked him to to heal bodies. I've asked him to make trials stop. I've asked him to change difficult people and difficult situations. And to me, these requests generally seem like a really good idea. And I can justify uh, why I think they're the right thing for God to do. But apparently, my Heavenly Father sees those justifications sometimes about as legitimate as Kingston asking for a popsicle instead of dinner. And in his wisdom, often, my Heavenly Father has said no to me as he has to many of us. And as I look back at situations like that, I'm disappointed often, for sure. But I end up always seeing his goodness in it. I end up always seeing that he had a plan and why he said no to removing the difficult things from my life. I've seen that those things have produced in me stuff that nothing else could have produced in me. But while I have learned to embrace some of those trials, my confidence level that God will say yes to certain things in my life is not as high as it used to be. So just like my experience with my voice has caused me to lack some confidence in my ability to sing well, so my experience with God not removing certain things from my life has caused my confidence to diminish in regards to him saying yes to certain things in my life. I'm just being honest. But do you know what request of mine God has never said no to? Lord, can I just be with you tonight? Lord, I just need to be by you. God, can I just, can I talk to you? And will you listen to me? God, I I can't be alone right now in the middle of this. Will you, will you be with me and will you let me be with you? I'm not a godly grandpa like some of the people in here. I've only been walking with Jesus for 22 years, but in my 22 years, I have never once heard God tell me no when I've asked him if I could be with him. And of course, he's never said no. This was his intention from the beginning. The idea was always intimacy. It's what Adam and Eve had that was broken when they sinned. And it's why God sent his son. God did not send his son to redeem us back to religion. 
He didn't send his son to take away our sin. He sent his son so that we could be with him. Sin was the barrier keeping us from him. And so Jesus came and took it away. But the end goal was always so that we could be with the Father. That's why in Ephesians 1 it says that it now in Christ you have redemption. You know what redemption is? Redemption means to buy back something that was originally yours. We were originally God's. Humanity was God's. And Christ came to buy us back to God. Sin separated us from him. But Jesus came and removed the barrier so we could be back with God. So of course, of course, God would never say no when we say, Lord, can I just be in your presence? This is why Jesus came and this is what we were made for. God may not always say yes to delivering us from our suffering, but he will always say yes when we say, Lord, can I come into your presence? Because this was always the promise. From the beginning, it was never a promise of deliverance. It was always a promise of presence. God never promised that he would always give us the easy stuff and always keep us from the hard stuff. What he promised was that he would never leave us or forsake us. What he promised was that he would be with us in the midst of the trial. And if you're a Christian, if you're a kingdom kid, then you have access into the house and presence of God. And what kind of access do you have? The Bible doesn't just say, and now you have access into the presence of God. It says that now you have confident access. We can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Somebody say, confidently. Can you say it again? Confidently. You may be here today and you may lack confidence in most everything and most everyone in your life. You may be unsure about most everything and everyone in your life. But when it comes, child of God, to being in the presence of God, you have confidence. The other word that Paul uses to describe this access into God's presence is the word boldness. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Can you say boldness? boldness? I never knew this before. I've even taught through the book of Ephesians, and I have somehow missed this. But this word boldness, I mean, it makes sense if you think about it. But it specifically, it's this Greek word, parousia. It specifically means freedom and openness of speech. It's like Acts chapter 4 when it says, they went out and they preached the word of God with boldness, with parousia. It means that they, they, spoke, they spoke freely, they spoke confidently, they spoke without wondering how people were going to respond to them. It was like they went out and they were like, dude, we're doing this. We're speaking, we're going to speak loud, we're going to speak true. I don't care what anybody says, they spoke with boldness, right? We, we, we use that word like that. They spoke with boldness, with parousia. And then the other way that it's translated into English is parousia is not translated boldness, but uh, translated plainly, like, uh, like when Jesus in John chapter 11 or 12, when uh, Lazarus dies, and, and he's telling the disciples, and he says, Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, well, what? It's no big deal, Lord. He's just sleeping. Like, somebody could wake him up. And then it says, and then Jesus spoke to them plainly with parousia, and he said, no, Lazarus is dead. In other words, he, he was straight shooting with them. There was no gray area. He said it just like it was. He wasn't beating around the bush. He was saying it exactly like it went, meant. He wasn't mincing words. In both cases, boldness, plainness, this word parousia is the same thing. It has to do with the mindset with which you speak. If confidence refers to the attitude with which you enter God's presence— then boldness, parousia, refers to the attitude with which you speak to him once in his presence. Parousia means to speak boldly and openly with freedom to God. And here's why this matters. Because the majority of our relationship with God actually involves language and hinges on language. Think about it. How, how does God interact with us? Using words, right? Like he uses the word, the Bible. That's, it's words. Even when God speaks uh, maybe audibly to somebody, how does he do it? He does it in the form of words. When God shows somebody a vision or gives them a dream, 
That vision, that dream is only as good as the interpretation of that vision and dream. And how does the interpretation come? With words. Which is why when talking about Jesus, John is like, in the beginning was the word. And in the Old Testament, this is how God interacted with his people. He would speak words to the prophets, and the prophets would speak that word to the people. See, we, with humans, uh, I have a statistic here, 93% of communication is nonverbal. Yeah, 93% of the communication is nonverbal. 55% is body language, and 38% is tone of voice which means that only 7% of our communication has to do with the actual words coming out of our mouths. If you ever wonder why, like, you can't get your point across, this, this might be it. That's with human beings, though, but with God, we don't get to see him, which means we don't get to know what his body language looks like, and we don't get to know what his tone of voice sounds like. We could assume some things, right? Because we're like, we look at the life of Jesus and we're like, oh, I think God's probably sounding like this. His body language probably looks like this when he says that kind of a thing. But mostly what we get when it comes to relating and talking with God, interacting with him, is his words. And this has always been how it is. God uses words. God even spoke the worlds into existence through his word. Words are important to God and fundamental in our relationship with him. So when the Bible tells us that we can come confidently and speak with parousia, with openness and freely before God, this should make our ears perk up. Because God has always used words and our relationship with him has always hinged on words. But never like this. Never like this. Relationship with God has always needed words and has always involved words, and God's people have always interacted with him using words, but never with boldness in their words until Jesus. Interaction with God pre-Jesus was terrifying because God is holy, and apart from Jesus, we're full of sin, And so we couldn't be in the presence of God. God's an all-consuming fire. So who knew if us in our sin, we'd just be consumed when we were in the presence of God. You couldn't come and talk to God with boldness, freely, openly, with parousia. And yet God always desired to be with us and to be intimate with us. And so he made a way to remove that barrier so we could come in, but not come in with uncertainty and fear, but with confidence and boldness. Even as Paul says in our passage today that now because of Christ and our faith in him, we can come boldly. See, in the Old Testament, interaction with God was like this. It was like, I don't know. I mean, maybe, Lord, you're just, God, you're just right there. And then Jesus comes along and he does this. We even see this in the way that worship is defined in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Worship in the Old Testament is primarily this word shaka in the Hebrew. It literally means to prostrate oneself with your face bowed down in homage to a king or a deity. Shaka. That's, that's what worship was in the Old Testament. God, you are holy, Lord. Yeah, face to the ground. But then Jesus comes along, and he's talking to the woman at the well in in John chapter 4, and he says, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. And the Greek word for worship there is the word proskeneo, which means to turn toward and to kiss. Shaka, shaka, turn toward. Kiss. In both cases, the the word for worship contains a a posture and an action. With shakah, the posture is bow down. With proskineo, the posture is turn toward. With shakah, the posture is homage. I'm sorry, the the, the tone is is homage. Or the action is, is homage, Right? With, with proskuneo, it is, it is to kiss. The difference between worshiping God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament 
is that in the Old Testament, we were still in our sin. We worshiped God from the ground with our faces to the earth, unworthy to be in his presence, full of shame, full of some fear, shakah to bow down and reverently worship. But when Jesus come, came, he stooped down to us on the ground where we were with our face in the ground and became just like us and from the ground took on our sin and our shame and then nailed it to the cross and then was buried in the ground. And then from the ground, he rose up. And when he rose up, he said, hey, what are you doing down there? Get up. Get up, you are risen with Christ Jesus. You have been risen with Christ Jesus. Come here, get up. You don't belong down there. Come here, get up. John chapter eight. Religious leaders bring to Jesus a woman caught in adultery in the very act. The penalty of adultery under Jewish law was death. And so they come with stones in hand, ready to enforce capital punishment. And in an attempt to trick Jesus, they say, what are you going to do with this woman, Jesus? The law of Moses says, stone her, but you're so loving and merciful, so what are you going to do? In John chapter 8, starting verse 6, it says, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down, and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped back down and wrote in the dust, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. This woman full of shame, full of sin, publicly humiliated, fearing for her very life, as low as the dust of the earth. And Jesus comes and he stoops down with her. He stoops down. He stoops down and he drives away her accusers. And when he does, he takes her chin from this to this. In the new covenant, Jesus comes and he says to you, Christian, you don't have any shame. I have disarmed your accusers and removed the shame of your sin. You don't have to hang your head anymore. You don't have to bow your face to the earth. You can do it out of love. I receive that. I receive that. But you don't do it out of shame. You don't do it out of fear. You could do it out of love if you want. But you look in my eyes. You look in my eyes. The father says, you look in my eyes. You are perfectly righteous because of the work of my son. You look in my eyes and you come like my son comes to me. I am the lifter of your head. The psalmist wrote in his song in Psalm 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. In John 15, 5, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, you guys are... Uh, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. To me, uh, that's what speaking with boldness means. It means that I get to come to God as openly and intimately as I would talk to a trusted friend of mine. You don't have to prove anything to be in God's presence. If, you're, if your king is Jesus, then you already belong there. You have inherited the perfect righteousness and status of Jesus, which means that you are as accepted and welcomed in God's presence as Jesus is. To have boldness means that we get to come and interact with the Father just like Jesus does. And how did Jesus interact with the Father? With parousia. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be crucified and he's about to give his life. What does he do, man? He's with the Father and he's like... So stressed that he's sweating great drops of blood. And, and he's like, Father, hey, this is crazy. Like this, I'm scared right now. I'm stressed out. Like this is, a, like, I don't know if I can do this. It's a lot, Lord. It's too much. Can we, is there another way? Like is there something else we can do here? 
He's talking openly. He submitted and surrendered for sure because he says, not my will, but your will be done. But he is talking openly. He's saying, Father, is there something else we can do? Is there another way that we can accomplish this? Sometimes when we think about talking with God, we, don't, we, don't, we think about him being like some distant God. But my question is, when is the last time that you have prayed to God as if he was right here and been totally open and honest with him? When was the last time you prayed to God and just were like real about what was going on in your life and talking to him, not with some like put together posture, but as if he was like, you're not my servant, you're my friend now. Sometimes when we think about coming into God's presence with boldness, we think of it as like, I need to be full of faith and I need to be full of joy and have everything all put together. The truth is, man, we're not always put together and don't always have fullness of joy and fullness of faith. Sometimes we come into the presence of God just like this woman caught in adultery, man. We're full of shame. We're full of fear. We're exhausted. Jesus didn't come to God full of fear or uh, faith and joy in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he did come to him full of parousia, full of openness and freedom. He was honest and open. He came with boldness. Not, boldness is not like, I got faith to believe this thing. Boldness is like, I got, I got honesty to speak truly from my heart. Believe God says to us, come sit at my table, speak openly and freely with me. Come and speak to me. Listen, come and speak to me in confidence. God doesn't need polished. What he wants is honest. Can I tell another story? I know I've been telling a lot of stories today, but it's good. We had a baby who died after a day uh, a few years ago. His name was Nehemiah. And I was at a show a few months after Nehemiah went to be with Jesus, and I was coming home, and I got one of the scariest texts I've ever got in my life from my wife. You've got to understand, my wife Emily is um, the closest person to Jesus that I had ever known, uh, full of faith, full of confidence in the Lord. And all the text said from her was, Dom, I don't know if I want to be a Christian anymore. And so I immediately called her, and she was like, don't, I, I just, like, I don't know if I can trust God. Like, we watched our baby, like, suffer and die in our arms. Is God good? Like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And I didn't know what to say. I knew that I couldn't put some cute little hallmark Bible verse band-aid on it. Like, baby, God's going to work everything out together for good. I knew that wasn't right. And so I just listened and then got off the phone. And I immediately called my manager because he had gone through something similar. I said, Tim, I don't know what to do, dude. And he was very calm. And he was like, here's the deal, Dom. Listen to this. He said, God's not going anywhere. The best thing you can do, the best thing Emily can do is be 100% honest with yourselves and with God. There is nothing that you can say that will scare God away. He already knows, dude. Just be honest. My manager didn't know what he was saying, but what he was encouraging us to do was to come to God with parousia, to come to God with boldness, to come to God and speak openly and freely. Our Christian culture Church culture has taught us that when we're suffering, we put on like a happy face and we put on a veneer that says, no, I trust God though, he's good, right? He's gonna work everything out together for good. God's, God's doing something here, he's good. What if we were totally honest? We're not okay. And we're not sure that God's gonna work it out together for good. We believe it, but it doesn't feel like it right now. It doesn't feel like God is, right, is doing it and he's good and he's working it out for our good right now. We're not being honest. And when we're not being honest, we're not doing anybody any favors. God, he's like, why don't you, I know your heart. Why are you trying to pretend like you totally trust me? You're having a hard time trusting me. Just tell me, Lord, I'm having a hard time trusting you right now. You're not doing me any favors. I don't love you more because you're pretending that you trust me. Just be honest with me. Come to me with boldness, he says. This is the kind of open relationship that Christ has granted to us. I don't believe that we are being good stewards of our hearts 
when we shut them down and say, I'm not going to feel this. I'm not a good steward of my foot when it's broken and I avoid it. I'm certainly not a good steward of my heart when it's broken and I avoid it. God gave us those emotions for a reason, and they are a critical part of the healing process. Guys, listen, emotions don't just disappear. They either go out or they go in. And if they go in, at some point they're going to come out. And it's going to be way nastier later when they come out. It's going to be way more destructive when they come out. If you keep them in, the man, they're going to poison you. And we think it's dishonoring to God to, to be honest about things like doubt and even anger with him and to wonder if he's really good. But it was honesty with God, listen to me, it was honesty with God that allowed me and my wife and our family to not just get through the worst pain of our life, but to get through and be better for it on the other side. What I think is dishonoring to God is for us to avoid our hearts when they're crying out for attention. And God's like, I want to I minister to your heart. The truth is God already knows what's going on inside of there. It's about time for us to like start being honest with it. I believe that's the most honoring thing we can do is be honest with ourselves and with God to come to him with openness, boldness. Now, for some of us, I think we've been disconnected for so long from our hearts that we're like, I couldn't do this even if I wanted to. I don't even know how to be honest. I don't even know what's going on. And I have like shut it down, closed it off. Like I don't, I don't, I can't feel that. I don't know how to feel that. I just move on. We've done that for so long that we couldn't even be honest if we wanted to. And yet, this is the kind of relationship that we have in God through Christ. A relationship where we come and speak openly and freely. And to avoid open and free dialogue with God is to miss out on an entire dimension of our relationship with him. I believe it. I've experienced it. And you got to know that God can handle it. My daughter called me last week. Listen, somebody had broken into their hotel room and stolen their phones and money when they were in Uganda while they were sleeping in the hotel room. So my daughter called me the next day and you know what she didn't do? She didn't try to keep it all together. She knew that I was a safe place for her to be parousia, open and bold and free. Really boils down to our view of God. Is he some out of touch, out of reach, distant, divine deity disconnected from every emotion and thought? Or, he is, a, or is he a present, near, heavenly father who is ultra concerned with every single emotion and thought? Because if it's the second, second, then what Paul is saying here is true. We have been granted confident and bold access in both the posture of our hearts and the words of our mouth. Selah could speak openly to me because she knew I could handle it. God, guys, guys, God can handle our emotions. I'll close with this. It says that we now have bold and confident access, but access to what? Because it's one thing to be given access into a king's palace to be around him. It is quite another to be given access to a king's palace to be with him. Through faith in Jesus, we are not given access to the king's palace. We are given access into the king's presence. We are not granted access to audio tapes and online sermons or visions and revelations or the word of God. We are granted access to the presence of God. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. And guys, this is the best news I can give you today. I can't tell you that God's going to make all the hard stuff go away, but I can tell you that you have bold, confident access into his presence, and it is the best news I can give you because it is in his presence where everything is resolved. If you are discouraged or heavy or burdened today or lonely or full of shame, friend, would you come into God's presence? Would you just stop, exhale, and during this second set of worship, allow yourself to sit in God's presence? Would you today allow Jesus to come and listen? You're like this, just like... Uh. I don't know, maybe you're full of shame or you're just like, dude, you're so heavy, you're so burdened, you can't even lift, I've been there, man, you can't even lift your head. Would you just come to Jesus and just let him go like this? 
Just let him lift your eyes, your head, so your eyes look in his face. And lastly, if, if you feel emotionally just shut down, like, dude, I can't even be, I couldn't even come to God with boldness, with parasy if I wanted to. I don't even know how to do that with myself. I just, I feel disconnected from that. Um, I think God could heal you. I believe God, I know for sure God can heal you. I, I think he might actually do it, though, if you ask. Sometimes God makes us walk through a process, which is why I say, I think maybe. Sometimes he makes us walk through a process to get there. But I believe that today God wants to heal some people from that who are just shut off. He wants to open you up so that you can come to him with confidence. If that's you, the prayer team is going to be on the right and the left and would love to pray with you. There is restoration in God's presence today. That's what our second set of worship is designed for. Amen? Lord, thank you for this great access that we have been granted. Trips me out, Lord. I've been given access into some places where I felt like, dang, I don't belong here. But Lord, in your presence, <laughs> we don't belong there, Lord. It's like, I, what, why am I, how did I get here? And in Jesus, you say, what? What are you talking about? This, this is your house. It's unbelievable, God. It's unbelievable. We ask, Lord, that you would deal graciously with us now during this second set. We set our eyes upon you. We ask that our souls would find comfort and rest in your presence today. Once again, the prayer team is on the right and the left. They would love to pray with you about absolutely anything. These carpets are here for us to take postures of praise. Listen, if you come and bow your face down, that's, that's great. That's fine. I, I do that. I worship God like that. But you don't do it out of shame. You do it out of thankfulness. Like, dang, Lord, you're so good. I can't, not because I can't look you in the eyes, but like I can't believe how good you are. And the communion elements are up here for Christians. If you put your faith in Jesus, you come take the cup or the bread, you dip it in the cup. For us to remember, oh yeah, I have access into God's presence because of what Christ did on the cross. His body was broken, his blood was shed so that the barrier could be removed and I could come boldly and confidently with openness of speech into God's presence.